the channel. An audio broadcast all about everything. Avoid passing on unconfirmed information and rumors. Ladies and gentlemen, as a courtesy to our presenters, please turn off all electronic devices. And now... Hello and welcome to another episode of ICAD Recreating, the unique broadcast for and about creatives working in advertising, design and production and for the wider business community. I'm Mike Mesmer, ex-creative director of Ogilvy. And I'm Pierce Mackay, ex-creative director of TBWA. Today, we'll be talking to three senior creatives to get some idea of just how creatives are currently working, and we'll get them to gaze into their crystal balls and predict what the creative department of the future might look like. Just trying to feel that you're always part of something that was going on, and I think that's very easy when you're physically in the space. You can just see over the shoulder of an art director and actually get involved in the job. And later, I'll be examining the impact of the current situation on the personal and professional life of a working creative. I'll be talking one-to-one -one with Rossi McCauley, president of ICAD and founder and principal designer of Distinctive Repetition, about his personal experiences and his belief in the value of a creative community and of creativity in general. Okay, so I suppose one thing is happening now, and that is that we're coming to realise what the implications are behind that horrible phrase, the new realities. Well, today I'm joined by three creative leaders who really understand that in relation to advertising agencies and design studios. I have with me Des Creedon, ECD of TBWA Dublin, Mel O'Rourke, founder and lead creative of CI Studios, and Owen Nolan, independent creative. You're all very welcome, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, let me start with you, Mel. What are the immediate steps you took when the lockdown happened and how are you managing today? What's your day like? What's the day like? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I suppose, Pierce, when we found out that uh, there was going to be a lockdown, we, we had prepared uh, probably about a week beforehand. So the transition was, was fairly smooth. We thought it would be a lot more difficult, but... Um, it actually worked out quite well. Like literally, you know, on the on the Friday, we had taken all our computers home and on the Monday we had set up. So we did think that was going to be, you know, a lot more um, disruptive than it actually was. Um, and it's funny how we all kind of got into the whole idea of working from home and using the different platforms quite quickly. So that, that was good. Um, in terms of how we work, it it seems to be it seems to be fine. Like the first couple of weeks were kind of a novelty in terms of, you know, everybody really kind of came together and we all worked really well. And I suppose we're we're still in that bubble that we're not really sure when this is gonna end. But on a day to day basis, we we do pretty much what we we always do when we're in the studio, in that we you know, we have our daily meetings uh, through MS Teams. We um, we discuss the projects that are on. Uh, we're probably, I would imagine, a lot more productive in so many ways because we have to be. We have to know what we're doing on any given day. You know, our clients, I suppose, expect us to be working in the same capacity as we've always done. So okay. it's been very surreal. 
No, um, I'm sure. And interesting. And surreal seems to be the operative word. Yeah. Des, would, would that be typically your experience? Yeah, I could echo most of that, really, that I think it's gone a lot smoother than maybe any of us did imagine. Now, it came quite quickly for us, but uh, I suppose being, as you guys know, being, being more so a copywriter than an art director, I could just take my laptop home anyway. So it wasn't much change for me, whereas I think a lot of the you know art directors had to lug their big uh, machines home and get set up properly. But I do find that... Um, now that this is going on and a bit longer, I'm kind of feeling that I'm actually working on a coffee table. So I'm sure uh, chiropractors and osteopaths will do a mighty business once this is all over from people's impromptu desks. But um, no, I think in fairness, Pierce, there's a lot of work done behind the scenes to make this as smooth as possible. And uh, again, as I said, the visual people really needed you know, access to servers and all that was set up remotely. So in mm. fairness, it's been incredibly smooth. And uh, But I mean, really, this it's been amazing uh, the amount of work we can do. And, and again, that productivity has remained so high. It's been impressive. I'm going to stay with you just for a second, Des, sure. uh, and I'm going to just ask you to take us through a little bit of the case history on the jobs you, the job you guys did for the Department of Justice for the domestic abuse ad that you guys ran that seemed to come out of the blue. For my part, I think it's one of the best bits of creative I've seen in within the uh, within the, the crisis. What happened? What, how did that come about? You know, it, it's one of the best examples. Uh, I'm glad you asked uh, that I can talk about because it was actually a proactive. Uh, phone call Vaughan Caplice one of our account directors in, in work so it was great in a way really uh, I suppose that we just observed that obviously you know we're, we're all being asked to stay at home yet home for many people isn't a safe place to be um, and throughout the world we saw that domestic violence and abuse the the rates were soaring so we actually uh, Department of Justice is one of our accounts so we just uh, in fairness to Yvonne rang them up and they had coincidentally at the same time been talking about doing a campaign and I guess like many advertisement uh, campaigns from there on in it was kind of the constraints and the actual environment we found ourselves in that I suppose led to uh, you know, a, a great piece of creative done by the team inside. Yeah, I'm just going to probe this a little bit this, sure. this idea of you know that great creativity can happen in adversity Owen just turning to you and you're a lone wolf so you're probably used to working in splendid isolation what's it been like for you? Well it's kind of strangely uh, fortuitous for me in that I've been working on an international contract with folks in the US, Canada, Argentina, Australia all working virtually some virtual studio uh, as it were so that actually just carried on as normal. The only problem there remains the perpetual problem of uh, time zones. And so you're constantly talking to people. For the Australian person in the meeting, it's late at night. For, for the Americans, it's early in the morning. And towards the end of the day, for anybody on this side of the Atlantic, so that that went on as uh, business as usual. Turn to you, Mel. I mean, are there specific challenges working virtually as a designer? And do you think that this is going to be something that will have a legacy that will will actually turn to this kind of much more virtual working? Uh, it's hard to know. I think there's a lot of benefits, obviously, to working from home. But you know, from from our experience, you, you can't really beat the kind of you know, the collaboration that goes with being together in a studio. Mm. Um, I know that some of the designers, especially the younger ones, 
find that not difficult. I mean, we're, we're doing the work and it's it's all good. But I do think they miss that kind of sense of just being able to share ideas, you know, in a studio environment. So I don't know if this is kind of the new norm when we get back yeah. to normality. I do suspect that everyone will rush back to the studio really quickly. And I think it will probably be a nice thing to know that we can actually work from home if we need to. But I think people in our place anyway seem to prefer just to be together when it comes to ideas. But yeah, saying I, that, you know, we've had a few tricky and challenging presentations and where, you know, you would think that the work is going to suffer because we're not together. But it's the work has been, you know, same standard, it's if not better. So, you know, I think being in isolation, sometimes you can you can really focus and put your best, you know, best work together. Yeah. But in other ways, it's it's kind of difficult when yeah. no one's around. Well, just on that point, Tez, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the setup in, in, in TBWA in Dublin. I mean, part of it is that open plan where you walk the floor as a creative director. I think you'd be looking over people's shoulder in the most benign way. But that kind of spontaneity, that spark, that chat, when you don't have that, how much are we missing? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things I would miss uh, even personally is exactly that, Pierce, that... Uh, just trying to feel that you're you're uh, always part of something that was going on. And I think that's very easy when you're physically in the space. As you say, you can just see over the shoulder of an art director and actually get involved in a job all of a sudden. Whereas, and I think to echo Mel's point, I think some of the junior uh, guys as well, it's a lot easier ask or say, I don't know what's going on than send an email to say, I don't know what's going on, uh, you know, to actually put it in writing. So I always think that's the part that, possibly for us has been the hardest to work out but what we try to do and I'm sure the guys are the same is just try and uh, call each other probably more often um, than we ever have before obviously but actually just keep on checking in and, and making sure that you know the guys are taking regular breaks and we've tried an email policy because you know some people are juggling kids at home as well and juggle their other life which can be really hard or if their partner is working as well so you can get a lot of emails late at night uh, for us it's not even dependent on time zones it's just actually when this work can get done and some people's timings can be very different when we're all working from home in our own little bubbles can i ask a question are we working from home or are we doing the best we can to do a bit of work during a global pandemic because you know, I, I yeah. think to some extent it, it keeps being looked at like a period in which we all decided to pack up our crayons and go home <laughs> when, in fact, you know, there's a, a death cloud hanging over. There's a sort of a, an apex predator outside uh, uh, that we're still, the kids, uh, our, our kids, I've got three boys of ranging from 16 to 11, and they, you know, they're having anxiety dreams uh, obviously, everybody's worried about when they're going to see their friends and or their grandparents or or all of that. So, actually, you know, to some extent, to say that we're we're working from home, I I'd, I'd like to think it's not going to be like this this time next year if we're in the same situation. You know, as creative leaders, is this a time when you guys should be looking at you know how pitches are done, why pitches are done, and maybe looking to use this pandemic to use this crisis as a way of maybe addressing certain things i'll start with you des you know pitches i suppose you know they've, they've been questioned now for for a good few years and you know there's rfis and everything else and i think i, I possibly read what Owen wrote on linkedin anyway but uh but i do think there 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 is merit in 
you know, I think good clients know who the good agencies are, but but I do think you know chemistry meetings I think are important. For for example, we did we've started on a pitch process already. Uh, I suppose in this period, you know, so we kind of figured, geez, how how do you do a chemistry meeting at a time like this? But actually, you know, you again through the constraints, you come up with good ideas of of trying to make that work. But I think look. Pitches have forever been, you know, you talked about a drain on resources and everything else. That's that's what a pitch is, you know. Uh, and I think sometimes even from our client side of things, pitches are, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily the best way for them either to pick their agency. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure Owen has a lot more thoughts on this. But uh, Would that reflect your reality, Mel? Are pitches a big strain on you guys as well? As a rule, we don't pitch for the very simple reason that our belief is that, you know, our work, you know, what we do. It's better that we invest the time into the actual project, you know, because it's it's a different, it's a different um, type of working than, say, advertising. You know, the, with design, the, the budgets are a lot smaller, obviously. So for us to pitch for work just wouldn't make any sense because you have to, you know, for a brand project, for instance, you have to really understand the strategy behind a business and it's all about figuring out things as you go when you're working with a client you know making sure that their business strategy matches the brand strategy and that kind of thing so it, for us it's a waste of time to some extent uh-huh. to to be pitching for for work like that because they're not going to measure like with like you know yeah i i think pitches may well actually have reached a natural uh break in the in the road or a crossroad in that the post-COVID, I think, unfortunately, there are going to be fewer ad agencies and a lot more people looking for work. And it, it just may be that uh, pitches may not uh, work out well from the client's point of view okay. if they don't have the budgets that they had and they have a different set of targets. OK, on that note, I'd like to say thanks first to Mel O'Rourke, Des Creedon and to Owen Nolan. It was great talking to you guys. Thank you very much indeed. I'm very pleased today to be joined by none other than Rossi McCauley, president of ICAD. Rossi, you're very welcome. Thanks, Mike. It's lovely to talk to you. And I'm really struck by the wonderful piece that you wrote on the insight section of the ICAD website recently, which I guess the theme of is is knowing you're not alone. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about what that's what that's about? Yeah, sure. Well, I suppose it's it originates as a as a letter to the membership of ICAD um, at a time when we were wondering as a as an organization as a, as a as a bunch of individuals what we could offer our 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 members and whilst ICAD had many plans to do many different things this year um as covid-19 came around you know we found ourselves reimagining and reassessing all of those and mm. i i was quite conscious that we hadn't spoken to the membership since the lockdown had happened and we hadn't emailed or, or sent out any mailchimps or anything like that and and that ICAD was waiting for a point of communication to reconnect with its members. And honestly, when we sat around the table, sort of thinking about what we could offer the membership, the first thing that really 
uh, struck me was that um, there wasn't really anything we could offer the membership, at least nothing real or solid at the time, because everything, yeah. as it still is, is changing every single day. And so that, you couldn't pretend to have a solution uh, because there isn't one. Uh, yeah, but I think I think a couple of things came out of conversations, like you know, when, when I look through my notes from board meetings, what we're talking about when we're dealing with the membership, you have people saying things like, "We have to be brutally honest." about whatever we we talk to them about um and that whilst we can develop support networks and solutions we really don't have the answers to to the problems um there was yeah. a phrase you used that struck me which was insurmountable challenges and deep personal fears yeah which uh-huh. is very much uh, something that um i think I was feeling that personally myself and not for the first time in my life. Um, mm. But as everything started to evolve and, ha- and it all happened so immediate as well, it was it was an instant uh, change of landscape. And, you know, you find yourself in a, in a mental headspace where everything seems impossible. And what was happening to me for a while was that I was talking to ICAD as a community, not just of its board members, but of of my colleagues and my peers that I would have to be in connection with through ICAD. We were having these conversations that started out quite simply and, you know, maybe a request for something or an invitation to, Mm. to get involved in something. And very quickly they were changing into these incredibly deep and personal conversations with professionals and people I've known for a long, long time um, who just seemed to get stuck. And uh, I, I ended up in the most, like, I don't want to use the word fascinating, but but they were fascinating yeah. conversations. Um, and actually going back to the letter and, and sort of uh, the, this note of empathy uh, with the membership, um, what what really surprised me about it was, you know, here I am in a professional network. These are all professional members, but we're not talking about professional fears necessarily. It was all the personal stuff. And that seemed to resonate across every conversation that, that I ended up having. Um, and I noticed the the one thing that really, really jumped out at me in your piece was how the ordinary can become extraordinary again. I mean, you talked about dancing in circles with your 17-month-old daughter and how important that was, even though it's probably something you do every day. I've said this to a number of people, and I said it to yourself before. I mean, to be very, very honest with you, um, you know, not necessarily on Thursday the 12th of March, but on Friday the 13th when I was coming home from work, Mm -hmm. um, I was genuinely uh, struck with a deep personal fear. Um, There is this thing in my head and, you know, having been through sort of experiences like this before where you have to be very conscious, certainly I do now in my life, not to bring this home. Um, And so I stop on the way home and I try to separate work from home life but being a creative individual it's very you you don't turn creativity off you don't turn your problems off when you go home but you do have to stop and refocus between before you go through the door now I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with my 17 month old daughter about the fact that every single piece of business I have has just disappeared and I'm reassessing the entire value of my career um I can have a dance with her and that can refocus me on something different. Um, and I think it's, it's not just the act of having a dance with her. It's, it's, it's consciously making a decision before you walk back through the door to, 
to stop and try and try and come a, come at your evenings events anew. Um, now that being said, they all start up again the next day when you go back to work. You know. Yeah, and you, you use the word consciously there, and I'm, I guess, conscious myself of the importance of of maybe naming some of these things and how, you know, by talking about your fear, I'm wondering if that has helped you work your way through it. Well, I mean, I would have personal experience, you know, having been to see a therapist for for other issues in my life down through the years. Um, I've learned the hard way that um, concealing or, or, or burying things or hiding, you know, it'll always come back to haunt you. Um, it's, mm. it's, it's not necessarily training but I suppose through experience I have been through traumatic events before I have been through a recession where I did lose a business and a business partner who was a best friend as well at the time and and was faced with all sorts of challenges and I kind of you know at the end of the last recession I, I spent a year sitting on the side of a mountain down in Wicklow trying to having having all sorts of conversations with myself trying to figure out um how to deal with the problems that I faced the challenges and through proper professional help and therapy, um, although I'd fought it off a lot in my life, you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't until my late 20s, early 30s that I actually went and sat down and talked with a, a professional therapist about it. So I kind of had some, I suppose you could call it training coming into this, that um, having been through it before and having learned the very hard way um, how fears and challenges from uh, life and from work can permeate into your personal life and wreak havoc. Um, so I, you know, I've, I'm always conscious of that now. And, and as, as anybody who's gone through any form of therapy would know, you, you build up mechanisms and understandings to know when uh, these things are going to become something bigger. Um, and, and the small parts of it are, you know, the stopping at the door, the taking time before you walk through the door or even you know, making sure you cycle home as opposed to drive home because you realize that the car is a place that you're tense as well, turn your telephone off. So I kind of had some personal training and experience of it. That being yeah. said, it's it's a practice and mm. like it, it has to be maintained. And you mentioned there turning, you know, you, you, you can't turn creativity off even though, you know, um, the rest of the world maybe is turning off. And I'm wondering about the risks of that creativity sometimes turning on on you in the sense that we all have fantasies and imaginations and you know it's easy to ramp up into a, a crisis as well as ramping away from it you know using our creativity do you think that was that's an issue that kind of you have to stop yourself from imagining the worst i guess is what i'm saying absolutely you know a creative mind is thinking all the time um it's going all the time it's very hard to turn especially when you you know if you're as creatives a lot of us are our own business you know it's 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 every little facet of what we do and everything's linked together you know the success of my uh, my business economically means that I can enjoy my life with my family, but also I feel rewarded by the output of projects and, and the achievements I, I get in those. So it's not, it's an integral part of, of my human nature and it doesn't get turned off uh, late at night. It has to be very consciously turned off. Yeah. Um, and that's a very difficult thing to do at the moment. I'm not going to lie to you about that. Yeah, I can understand how that would be the case. And and in addition, I'm wondering, you know, in your piece, you talk about adversity and that, I guess, in the beginning, as we've just been discussing, adversity can can 
you know, really become very stressful and can interfere with your creativity and the creativity can fuel it and make make what's adverse seem even worse. But you go on to say that adversity is not the enemy of creativity. And I, I really love that thought. And I'm wondering if you if you want to say a little bit more about that. This isn't just a, a thought that comes from me. This comes from a, a group of peers uh, working through things together and having conversations. And actually, uh, as a community in conversation, you can start to see how everybody is actually thinking that way. From from my point of view, where, where it kind of struck me is that in the first four or five weeks of this whole thing, you know, I, I really felt like I was grasping at straws and I, and I went back to relying on my process, my teaching, you know, my learnings as a, as a designer in terms of applying processes. But it was very difficult to, you know, when there's, you know, I haven't designed anything in six or seven weeks. So, you know, it was, it was very difficult to apply a logical process. Um, and then I, at, at a certain point, I'm looking at uh, a line that's on my own website about how I approach projects anyway and what the role of designers is. Um, <clears throat> and not just designers, but creatives. Um, and, you know, first and foremost, when somebody walks through your door, your role is to help them solve a problem. Now, yeah. in my arena, that's visual communication, but it's so much more. And anybody who works as a creative in communications in any capacity understands that, you know, solving the brief, uh, the, the steps that go along the way, like it's 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 not just that you're outputting a, an identity or a poster or a system at the end of it. And I realize as I'm going along and kind of what everybody is saying, you can kind of put your finger on it that, you know, we're hardwired to solve problems. And the reality is that right now we face problems and yes, they're new and they're different problems, but that's what we're trained to do. Um, and if, if, you know, in the conversations that I've actually had with economists and friends who are civil servants and professionals, what they're crying out for at the moment, especially from an economic point of view, is creative thinking around how they solve problems that they've never seen before, because we haven't seen this problem before, um, certainly not in our lifetime. So there was a change for me, and it's still an evolving change, but there was a change for me where it was like, well, hang on a second, this is what you do for a living. You solve problems and, and then you make them visually engaging. But first and foremost, you solve problems. So that's where I think, you know, adversity. And, and I have seen people solve problems in the most remarkable ways over the last six weeks. And I'm not just talking about moving to digital communications or anything like that, but how they solve their own personal problems, their business problems. And right now, uh, creative thinking is a really important and essential skill set to have. And as creatives, uh, you know, as designers, as art directors, as copywriters, we, we actually have that. And it's just acknowledging that it's there and that, yes, there are new problems, but, you know, the, the mode of thought hasn't changed. It strikes me that what also hasn't changed, Rossi, is the idea that empathy is paramount. And you mentioned that in your piece. And what really strikes me about everything you're saying today is how much empathy you've I guess, garnered over this experience or throughout this experience. Yeah, and it's. I suppose it's a, before we decided to send out a letter of empathy, I had to go and seriously look at the word itself and make sure I, I fully understood what it meant. Um, I mean, ICAD is very different in that its members run the organization, so we're all going through the same experiences um, and that it's, it's the fact that we're a bunch of like-minded people that bring us into each other's lives first and foremost. Um, and I think for 
for a long time, perhaps it was considered, you know, the professional empathy that we were all just, you know, striving for the same things in our professional lives. But as I say, you know, creativity goes outside your professional life. It's everything you do. It's it's, it's who you are. And what I've seen over the last while and why I think there is a, a very true empathy there is not just that we're going through the same financial and economic uh, situations and that we can sympathize with that, that we know what it's like to have lost 100% of your workflow or 75% of your workflow, but that we're all going through the same mental challenges as well. And like one of the biggest challenges that I've had over the last while is is not creating work um, and the absence of work and what that means in my life. Um, it is the thing that binds us as an organ as, as a group of people. You know, we're driven, we're driven by the work, but the work is also our life. So we can be truly empathetic. And when, when we sent out that letter, you know, I got personal responses to that letter, you know, sent to me directly or texted me directly where it struck a chord. Um, and it wasn't just the professional side of things, um, but that it was, it was actually the personal side of things. I had a conversation last Thursday with the Art Directors Club of Europe where there was 23 countries around a table, albeit one of these Zoom conferences. And again, it was, you know, the situations that we find ourselves in here nationally or in Ireland, I mean, it's shared across Europe. Um, and the fears are the same and the challenges are the same. Um, and what I find fascinating is that, again, in that, in that conference last week, nobody was providing answers, but there was lots of questions. And when you walk away from those conversations, just like every conversation I've had with my peers uh, through ICAD over the last while, especially the ones of different disciplines, where these conversations and these askings of questions provide the beginnings of answers to things for me. And it's an ongoing process. So I think what the only thing I've seen in the last few weeks is that together, I think people are starting to really ask the right questions. And and that's only if if I was sitting at home and you know working in solitude, uh, I wouldn't have that sort of benefit of thinking. Um, and that's kind of what the the whole point of the benefit of community was. And what my friend Len, the psychologist, was saying, you know, what's the benefit of group therapy? And it's like, well, first and foremost, it's knowing that you're not alone; that other people face these challenges as well. And and to even begin a conversation about them is, uh, I suppose, to begin the process of recovery. Knowing you're not alone, certainly, truly inspirational words there from Rossi McCauley, ICAD president. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. So there we have it. Another episode of Recreating, brought to you by ICAD, your non-profit membership-led body that brings together members locally and connects them with a network of creatives across the globe. You can find out more information on events, awards, and membership on ICAD.ie. This podcast was produced and recorded entirely remotely by Lockie Butler. So until next time on ICAD Recreating, be safe, be creative.